My name's Kyle. I'm engineering here in the studio, everybody, and we are coming in with Mind Body Health with Dr. Marvin Trotter. Good morning, Dr. Marvin Trotter. Good morning. How are you doing, Cobb? I'm doing quite well. How do you do? Peachy, we're going to have a we're going to have an interesting show this morning that I have very little clinical knowledge about. It's going to be about OB and family practice. And we're going to have two physicians on with us this morning, Dr. Martin and Dr. Parangal. And they are um, uh, family residency faculty members, and they do what I don't want to do in medicine, and that's deliver babies. Um, the scariest thing in the ER to me over 30 years was code blue OB. That was a terrifying thing to come over the Fortunately, it happened three times, but still, this is not uh, the part of medicine I wanted to go into. Anyway, good morning, um, ladies. Um, who wants to start to tell us how you got to Mendocino County? Good morning, Marvin. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Sure. So You've been um, on before. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, I don't think I have. I don't, um, you don't think you have? Okay, go no. ahead. <laughs> So that, this um, is Jody. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, you, go ahead. Yeah, introduce yourself as well yeah. so we don't confuse yeah. your voices. So uh, I'm Jody Padungao. Um, I'm one of the family medicine faculty here in Ukiah with our new residency program. Um, how did I end up in Ukiah? Well, I had a friend, um, Dr. Gutierrez, who um, actually came here to help with the residency program with Dr. Duell. Um, more a little bit over a year ago and she told me that he was hiring and I came and interviewed and absolutely loved the area. Um, I really aligned with Dr. Duell's passion for family medicine and full spectrum scope of practice which we'll talk a little bit more later. Um, and I also um, am fairly um, new out of residency so I'm about three years out of my training. So I graduated in 2018 from University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. In oh, really? Yeah, how pretty. Yeah. So it's been a journey. I've been all over the country. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. You know, went to undergrad in New York. Atlanta? Yeah. Atlanta? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. My family, my parents you, are still there. You have done well getting out of Atlanta to New yeah. Yeah, it's it's a special place. I grew up there, but I love I love being out west too. So okay, yeah. Okay, Dr. Martin. Hello, good morning, everyone. Um, so my name is Dr. Sarah Martin, um, and I how I ended up in Ukiah is a bit of a winding path, but at the end of the day, I'm a California girl, born and bred. Um, I grew up in Vallejo in Fairfield, California, and then went away to Boston for my med school training, met my husband in England, and then came back to uh, Sutter Santa Rosa for my family medicine residency training. Um, so just down the road. And while at Sutter, I took care of uh, a fair amount of patients from Mendocino County um, and heard a lot of wonderful things about it. And so when I found out that there was the opportunity that there was a new residency program being started, for me, it's always, I started my career actually as a high school chemistry teacher. And Jody actually started her career as a teacher also. Um, for both of us, I think being able to come to Mendocino County and teach was really, that's what drew me up here. And that's been a dream come true for me to be a part of creating the 
future family physicians that our community really needs. So. I want everybody to realize that I think the um, crucial part to having a future of medical care in Northern California is the Family Medicine Residency Program. Because I don't know if people realize that when I was here in 86, um, um, there were eight internal medicine doctors. No one is going into internal medicine. Um, few, few people are going into family practice. Everybody wants to become a dermatologist or an anesthesiologist. And that's not what the community needs. And if you look at rural areas in particular, primary care is crucial. Um, and I just want everybody to realize that um, how important and wonderful it is that the family residency program is here in Ukiah. Tell us a little bit more about the residency program and how it works and all, so people understand before we start talking about OB. Well, Marvin, thank you so much for your support for the residency. It really means a lot to hear your kind words, um, because certainly it's something that Jody and I really believe passionately in with our whole hearts and souls. Um, so a residency program is after doctors finish medical school. So they are fully qualified doctors who then train in effectively an apprenticeship model where they are being super, they have an extra layer of supervision um, with the faculty such as myself and Dr. Padungao, um, Dr. Jewell, and several other faculty members um, where we double check, triple check their work for them. Um, as they progress through their training and really towards becoming independent practitioners. Um, it's a three-year long program. And in order, since family medicine, since we have such a broad scope in terms of taking care of everything from newborn babies all the way until the oldest person and everything in between that can walk through the door, both in an outpatient, in a clinic setting, as well as in an inpatient setting, um, it means that we have to be exposed to all that. And so in addition to working in the clinic um, or in the hospital with family medicine preceptors, which are another word for the attendings or teachers, um, they also rotate through the different specialties. So they spend time with our surgeons, they spend time with our gastroenterologists, the stomach doctors, they spend time all over Ukiah with different practitioners. Um, learning the different arts so that we can be full family physicians. So, anything I missed, Jody? Um, just to also clarify, kind of what full spectrum family medicine means is, you know, not only do we do outpatient care with all the age age group age ranges that Sarah talked about, but we also do inpatient medicine, which is basically the hospital doctors who admit um, patients through the ED. Um, and in this um, hospital setting, we also do ICU care and then also deliver babies, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit more today. So it's really like really full spectrum. It's like the broadest scope of practice that you can do as a family medicine doctor. Yeah, I want everybody to realize that this is not dermatology, that you really, <laughs> um, you really have no concept, I don't think, as a listener about going from a delivery to somebody in the ICU to somebody, you know, hospitalized with pneumonia to the outpatient clinic taking care of somebody that with hypertension or Alzheimer's. It's really a broad spectrum, um, impressive uh, uh, attempt at practicing everything well. I remember Dale Morrison, a cardiologist, told me as an internist, I did 80% of cardiology or something. And internal medicine is just a small portion of what you all do. So 
take it from there, your, your, um, your goddesses, but go ahead. I love the intellectual challenge of it. You're always learning something new every single day in our specialty, and it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you sharp, keeps you engaged with the medical and scientific literature. Um, And aside from the intellectual challenge and the mental challenge, you also have, you can see patients in their full context. You're not just seeing just their heart. You're seeing their heart in the context of their kidneys and their lungs. And more broadly, as family doctors, you're seeing them in the context of their families, right? Because as broad practitioners, we can take care of not just that patient, but maybe we also take care of her husband, her child, her grandparents that she's caretaker for. We take care of all different parts and we see you as a whole person and in the whole context, which to me is not just a mental challenge, but a wonderful fulfilling spiritual and emotional challenge also. How about you, Jody? Absolutely. I think it's just really an honor and privilege to be able to be involved in people's care at such a like kind of intimate level, I think, with families. It's really unique in our specialty. So I feel really honored to be a part of it. And it's so fun to Jody. be creating future doctors that are going to be doing that also. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is we're teaching and trying to get more doctors to stay in, in these rural communities like you guys. So. So Jody, I just uh, just as a question, I always uh, wondered, you know, being a family practitioner with the whole family, I would think that that would give you a lot of insight into people's problems, which is almost also like you have to be part psychologist to yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we very much um, you know end up being a counselor to our patients. Um, we we know a lot of the social interactions that are going on within a family. Um, And then we also deal with all the non-medical things that affect people's health. And, you know, we we call that like social determinants of health, which is one of my passions. And it's thinking about all the things that people deal with on a day-to-day basis, like transportation issues, housing issues, food security, um, all those things that impact someone's life and ability to come in and get care. And so I'm always thinking about that with my patients. And that's kind of what we're teaching our residents to do as well. Absolutely. So what do you like about teaching residents? Oh my gosh, I learn so much from them more than they <laughs> I feel like they know. Um, every day they're kind of showing me a different perspective or a different way of looking at a concept. Um, and then of course I'm teaching them as well, but I think it's this collaboration. It's like it's all about relationships, right? That we're kind of learning from each other as colleagues and kind of bringing each other up to give the best care for our patients. So. I just love it. Okay. Well, now you all can take OB and run down the road, and I'll sit here and listen. So tell tell the audience about OB care with the residency program. So with our clinic, um, you know, it starts from the very beginning with any woman who is either trying to get pregnant. We call that preconception care, where we're just getting them, you know, to come in for a visit to talk about how to make their pregnancy the healthiest it can be, um, even before they conceive. And then, of course, once a woman finds out she's pregnant, we start prenatal care through regular visits through the first trimester, second trimester, and the third trimester, um, and trying to figure out if there's any other medical conditions that we might need to treat differently through pregnancy or change medications. 
And then, of course, you know, first time moms, you know, trying to also educate them about what to expect with each trimester as their body's changing um, and screening for depression. And so it's, it's a real comprehensive kind of primary care for pregnancy that we give. And then, of course, we love delivering babies when they're ready. <laughs> they come in in labor. And that's, so that's what Sarah and I do. We both deliver vaginally. Um, we do have our other partners who are surgical OBs who do C-sections as well, and they have extra training. So, um, for example, Dr. Duell, Dr. Gilmore, Dr. Lolliger, and then um, our OBGYN on faculty, Dr. Sanchez, are all surgical OBs. And so they sort of are our backup if we need them. Um, and then from there, we give postpartum care. And then we're also in a unique position where we take care of the newborns immediately after delivery. And so we, we can actually round on the babies and then we see them in clinic and watch them grow up and do well child checks. It's, it's really a great model because I think it's super unique in that we're taking care of both mom and baby. So Sarah, tell me, tell me, tell me, um, what attracted you to the OB part of this? I mean, yeah, when my experience with OB was it's always fantastic until it's not. And then you have cardiac arrest. Well, when it's not, I don't know. I definitely, one of my favorite attendings back when I was in training, he used to say uh, that he did OB because he was an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> um, and certainly, you know, I always tell our residents that 98% of, 99% of babies can deliver themselves, really. Um, and in fact, um, oh, sometimes they do um, in terms of like parking lot deliveries when they don't quite make it to the hospital. Um, but the 1% of deliveries that you, or whatever the number is that you do need a provider around, um, you know, it's good. It's all training in terms of uh, all of us that deliver babies have gone through countless drills. We've rehearsed, we've prepared so that when the when it is needed, we know what to do, um, and we can safely take care of both mom and baby. Um, and as Jody mentioned, we have backup for when we can't, and we know, and that's part of our training is to know when we need extra hands and extra help. Um, but obviously, I while well, I am an adrenaline junkie, what drew me to OB is <laughs> not that one percent, um, but hundred percent the the amazing, beautiful process of watching a, a, a human being born and a mother being born and a family. I always, every time that a dad cries, I'm a, I cry. Like just every time I've made my peace with that. It's what gets me. Um, but in general, just watching a family being created, I was telling Jody last night while we were talking about this interview about this moment when I was a med student. It was one of it was my first ever delivery with a doula, um, with birthing support. Um, and there was this moment where the late afternoon sun was coming through the closed blinds um, and it was a female doula and I was there and we were coaching the mother through her delivery and she was giving birth to a baby girl and just the, you could feel the power of mothers giving birth to mothers, giving birth to mothers, giving birth to mothers, mothers for the whole history of humankind running through that room and it was just in such a powerful and incredible experience 
how can you not be a part of it? For me, it's it's a calling and I love it. And I love being there to escort life into the world um, and watch humans become families. And this sounded like more fun than slitting open somebody's belly and taking out their gallbladder? Is that what <laughs> hey there, just to interrupt you, Marvin, where you took such a beautiful uh, statement there and brought that in. I'm going to let everybody know, uh, this is Cobb at the KZYX studio, just letting you know, this is the Mind Body Health Show with our host, Dr. Marvin Trotter. Our two guests today are Dr. Sarah Martin and Dr. Jody Perengau. Uh They are um, teaching with the residency program at Adventist Health Ukiah Valley, and we're focusing on obstetric care today, uh, as you can tell you know, the birthing process and mothering. Um, and I'm going to leave it there. Welcome back, I'll try everybody. to be more appropriate. And listen oh, you're doing Odin's. fine, Marvin. It's yeah. such a great contrast. And that's why you went into emergency medicine. <laughs> not into OB. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah, just to echo Sarah, I think, you know, being in attendance at any birth, is a real honor and privilege that we ha- we get to do as as family medicine docs, and it's you know you're witnessing someone a, you know woman in their most vulnerable state, and at the same time they're just so powerful. Like it's it's a really cool feeling to witness that, and then when you are able to assist in that delivery, you feel like you're a part of something that's much bigger than you, you know. And it's there's nothing like it in medicine. There really isn't. And that's why we love it. It's incredible. It makes everything worth it. You know, you're, it's the same, you know, the, when you put that baby onto the mom's chest for the first time and she sees her baby's face for the first time, you can actually feel the whole room disappearing. Um, Everything goes away except for her meeting her baby for the first time. Um, And like Jody said, there's nothing like it in the world. And then to get to watch them together it, through the postpartum period and watch them learn to crawl and learn to say their first words and to know that you knew that baby when literally <laughs> he or she was a twinkle in the mom's eye um, is just such a cool feeling. Um, and to watch them actually become into the humans that they are. And, and watch the moms, you know, learn, moms and dads learn as they go through the different stages with the child. It is just such a privilege and an honor. Hey, this is Cobb again in the studio. And I have a question yeah. for you both. Um, and, you know, feel welcome to either one of you take this. But I'm just wondering if you could paint a bit of a picture of what the OB care looks like for, you know, listeners out there. Um mothers to be how many appointments they're looking at and and kind of what that's like from their perspective um over a timeline yeah i can i can start um so usually um you know a woman will find out that she's pregnant pretty early on maybe you know six to eight weeks pregnant um and they'll come in saying they've had a positive pregnancy test so that would be the first visit 
Um, and usually um, we kind of take a complete history, um, kind of go over some medical conditions that we might have to change medications. We would order the first dating ultrasound, um, which would be done sort of like a little bit after eight weeks. Um, and then we see them monthly um, during the first trimester and through the second trimester. And then later on into the third trimester, we'd see them more frequently when we get closer to delivery about every two weeks. And then at the very last leg of it, um, we sort of will see them every single week until delivery. So it gets pretty frequent near the end. Um, and of course, if, if our patient has some other medical condition that might require more frequent visits, like sometimes gestational diabetes, um, hypertension and things like that would require even more frequent visits. Um, but so it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty intense experience, I would say of 10 months of prenatal care. And it not only involves like medical things, but we also do a lot of counseling and education on what to expect when, you know, you are entering a certain trimester, what kind of symptoms to expect in the first trimester, like nausea, vomiting, um, and things that may happen in the second trimester. And so it's ongoing sort of educational and also medical, um, visits. And then after delivery also, then we have our postpartum visit, um, which traditionally was always at six weeks for vaginal deliveries. But what I love about our specialty is that because we're seeing your baby at the same time, we often can address a lot of the changes that are happening in your body um, at those visits and really kind of keep up on your health at the same time that we're taking care of your baby um, and making sure that your baby's doing well. So what's the, has that looked like in the last year with, um, you know, the coronavirus? Because um, it sounds like a fairly in-person, intimate kind of ongoing experience. So I, I'm just guessing here that the challenges must have been extremely difficult for OB care. It's such a good question. Like what Jody was saying, the connection is so important between you and your patient because... It's a vulnerable time period, even though the woman is at her most powerful during delivery. It's also a lot of unknowns and different changes that are happening. And having that trusting relationship is really important to make them feel safe during the delivery um, so they can focus on the incredible transition that's happening. Um, And so maintaining that through the COVID pandemic was certainly challenging. Um, As you are aware, a lot of medical visits pivoted towards in-person, but we did still have to maintain a fair amount of visits in-person, sorry, pivoted towards virtual, Uh, but we did have to maintain a fair amount of visits for in-person just because we need to measure the baby's heart rate at visits as well as the, the height that the uterus is at. Um, and so in practice, what, at the height of the pandemic, what I found was happening was that we were doing about every other visit was in-person versus virtual. And certainly they became more in-person as things got closer to the, to, to the due date. Um, thankfully, things seem to be happening more and more in-person. Um, so things are hopefully changing. Hopefully it'll be a footnote in the history books fairly soon. Uh, fingers crossed. the other thing oh the other thing i was going to mention in addition to seeing the babies you know when mom is postpartum and baby's coming in for their first weight check is 
we also do circumcisions um, for our little male patients that if their parents request it. <laughs> um, right now, I think we're, I don't know, I think we're one of the few um, circumcision providers in the county, if not the only one right now. Um, and so that's also another service that we can provide because I know that um, some patients were actually leaving the county to get that that done for their for their babies. So, so tell me, both of you, what do you think are the most the biggest challenges to a woman being pregnant these days? You know, is it is it uh, social psychosocial stuff? Is it transportation in a small rural county since there's not deliveries in Fort Bragg? Uh, what what are the biggest challenges to? Oh, I just did a urine test. I'm pregnant. Um, there's there's um, there's a lot of um, anyway. What are, what do you two think that the biggest challenges are for OBs? Or, you know, pregnant women in this county now. I also was shocked when I read that since over the last 15 years, teen pregnancy has dropped by 60 percent. Could you, could you talk about teen pregnancy and challenges to be an OB? Thank you. I would love to tackle the challenges one because yeah. it's near and dear to my heart right now. And the fact that two of my best friends literally have just had babies um, in the past month. Um, one over in UK, the United Kingdom, and one uh, in Son Sonoma County. Um, and despite having oceans between them, one of the most common challenges that I encounter with both my patients as well as my best friends is just the sheer pressure that is on new moms um, in terms of it seems like everybody has an opinion about what they should or shouldn't be doing. And they are so overwhelmed um, in terms of trying to figure out what they should or shouldn't be doing. And they're so scared that they're not doing right. And honestly, what I keep telling them and what I tell my patients is you trust your mom instincts. You have incredible, fierce, protective, wonderful mom instincts that will serve you well. Um, and just really, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is to try to tune out the pressure, tune out the mom guilt, um, and just really trust that you are, that your love for your baby will help you to make the right decisions no matter what. So, and that's see lately. How about you, Jody? Absolutely. I agree totally. Um, the other things that I find are really challenging and common are a lot of women are struggling with anxiety and depression, uh, a lot of mental health issues. And so there's a lot of misconceptions about having to stop medication once you're pregnant. And that's just not true. I mean, there are definitely certain medications that we don't want people to be on, but most, you know, antidepressants are safe in pregnancy and we would like women to stay on them. So I think that's a really common um, condition that we see women struggle with. And especially in, in, in our world community, I find that, again, it comes back to the social determinants of health. It's all the things that we struggle with when we're not pregnant, you know, getting to an appointment on time because we don't have a ride or, you know, um, having to get food at the food bank because we can't afford, you know, to buy fresh groceries. And it's the same problems that are even highlighted even more when someone's pregnant, right? So we're even more concerned about them missing that next prenatal appointment or, or the nutrition that they're giving their bodies and then is giving their placenta and then their baby. So 
all the social things that people struggle with in our community, I think are just even more highlighted when they're pregnant. And in a way, it's it's also an avenue for us to help because, you know, that it's so focused on their health and their baby that, you know, they can get some services because they're coming to care more often or if they're getting help for maybe a substance use disorder, um, it's an opportunity for them to get that help because they're because they're pregnant. When I was That's at public health, they had a special uh, coupons for pregnant women as far as going to farmers markets and stuff. Is that still in 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 play? I actually haven't come across that in my practice, but I know that that I think that exists. I've seen some of the flyers for the food bank. Um, but I haven't actually seen any of my patients um, get those recently. So that's that's something that to think about. I just know that we have a lot of the resources in clinic. We give women the information for the local food banks and, you know, local shelters and things like that. So, and WIC. WIC is a huge service, too. This is Cobb uh, in the studio again. What's that picture looked like for people on the coast? Um as far as you know making their appointments and getting the care they need and even very rurally like up in Covlo where you're working Marvin I wonder if you could address those two areas in particular I think that's where the benefit of COVID you know there are some silver linings in the dark cloud of COVID um, has come about in the fact that we now have very clear guidelines as to when and how we can have virtual appointments um, and so that certainly has eased the burden on some of our patients who are coming from far, di- like relatively far distances um, in the fact that we can have telephone or virtual visits. So not all of them require a drive down. Um, and then I have a patient who lives out in a fairly outlying area and, you know, just is we are estimating based off of her due date when she needs to be closer to the hospital rather than further from the hospital. Um, and so she'll be staying down locally as we get closer to her due date. I don't know. Have you experienced anything different, Jody? That's that's basically similar. Um, I've had patients from Covalo do the same thing. Um, we've converted some visits to virtual and then closer to delivery. Um, we've planned out who they can stay with in town. Um, some women are opting to start their care at the Mendocino Coast Clinic. They have midwives who are providing prenatal care. They're just not delivering out there. So a lot of women are opting to continue their prenatal care to about um, the end of the second trimester. And then they transfer to someone more local in Ukiah, whether it's with us or with Care for Her or another OB provider that's closer. So that's always an option. So if you don't mind me changing the conversation, as public health officer, we used to have significant larger number of teen pregnancies in Mendocino County versus the state average and now it's less than the state average and I was shocked that teen pregnancies are down 60 percent from 2008. I I mean is that all IVs or the implants or what's going on or women got smarter you know over the last 15 years or you know what has changed? I, I think it's a combination of, I mean, I think it's absolutely contraception. I think that's one of the number one things that we as primary care providers have been stressing to all of our young females who are of childbearing age 
that, you know, when and if they're ready, they should plan their pregnancy. And contraception is a huge part of that. And women are wanting to get educated and go to college and, you know, um, work on other things before they plan a family. And I think that's a huge part of it. I saw it also in residency, um, this huge drop in teen pregnancies. We were in New Mexico. I think we had one of the highest rates in the country. And just during my three years there, it dropped dramatically. Um, and a lot of it was due to contraception, counseling and contraception. And then the other thing I think is um, partially the economy. I think that when people are struggling, um, you know, in, a, in a, an economy, I think people tend to be a little bit more careful <laughs> about getting pregnant. Um, I think that's very practical um, in our society. And I think that might be one of the like natural progressions of like economics um, during this time, like during COVID as well. Okay, and Sarah, I, I wanna hear about IUDs because I thought teens didn't, you know, younger women or women who had not had a pregnancy didn't do IUDs. And I think IUDs are these phenomenal things and you see them in younger women. What happened? What changed? Uh, uh, certainly for as long as I've been in practice, you can put IUDs into uh, women who have never had children before. Um, they're increasingly growing as a popular form of contraception because we have different versions available. So there's one, so an IUD, just to kind of backtrack, is the short for intrauterine device, IUD. Um, and they are, it's an in-office procedure, so you have to come in and we would place it inside of your uterus um, through your vagina and there it can stay protecting you. It's one of the most effective forms of birth control that we have point blank uh, aside from any surgery um, and can protect you up to 10 years from pregnancy. Um, so we have a the copper one um, where you can still have your periods um, and it's non-hormonal, which appeals to a lot of women. Um, and then we have what's called the Mirena, and that one is hormonal, um, but the hormones stay fairly localized in your uterus. Less, less of the hormones will get out into your bloodstream. Um, and then there are smaller versions that are shorter time periods. And the hormonal ones often will, especially the Mirena, will often take away your period, which appeals to other women. Uh, and the fact that if you have heavy or painful periods, they can disappear um, or however long you have the IUD in place. Um, so they give you a wide flexibility of options in terms of how you experience your period and how long the birth control lasts. Um, with while protecting you from pregnancy for as long as you want and they've actually shown there's a myth out there that if you take out the iud um that you're going to have trouble getting pregnant and they've actually shown the opposite that a lot of times women are more fertile and easier to get pregnant after you remove and uh, birth control so um very effective birth control options but we have other types also and i was actually going to I would hypothesize that part of the reason why we're seeing a decrease in teen pregnancy is the availability of information on the internet. There are several really good websites, and if people are interested in birth control, I would recommend that they go to bedsider.org. It's B as in boy, E as in egg, D as in dog, like a bed that you sleep in. Cider, S-I-D as in dog, E-R dot org, bedsider.org. Um, and they have all the different types of contraception as well as the pros and cons for each, illustrations of each, 
how you would use each of them. Um, and it is just a wonderful help you to decide what type of birth control you might be interested in before you even come in for a doctor's office visit. Okay, uh, I have a question, Bob, you want to introduce them and start taking phone calls and see what sure. I ask of Jody and Sarah? Yeah, so if you just tuned in, this is KZYX. You're listening to the Mind Body Health Show. Our host is Dr. Marvin Trotter. And today we are joined by guests Dr. Sarah Martin and Dr. Jody Parungao, um of the uh, residency program. And you're, you're teachers with the residency program, is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. And we're focusing on obstetric care. Uh, we were just talking about um, teenage pregnancy and birth control options. Um, the question I have, oh, and before uh, we move on from there, we can take listener calls. Um, if you have a question for our guests or our hosts, the number to call is 707-895-2448. Be prepared to hold, but yeah, call 707-895-2448 if you have a question. Um, and the question I have, uh, when you mentioned that last link, uh, I actually have a couple questions here just to, to be ready for you. Um, one is this bedsider and in general, when you're doing your education, are you including male body, uh, contraception like vasectomies and, you know, promoting that? Cause I know that's very safe and an option that seems often overlooked. Um, and then my other question is if you can put out additional contact information um, for anybody that's hearing anything during the program uh, that they want to follow up on and how they might reach out to you. Thanks. Um, absolutely. Talking about um, the male options for contraception are very under under uh looked i think or, or i don't think we talk about it enough and vasectomy is a great option for a lot of couples um who you know have been together for years and know that they're going to stay monogamous and maybe they're done with childbearing um and i think that you know the options in this county um really haven't been that many um but we um we are probably going to be starting that in our practice soon um, and so I think the option of vasectomy is definitely something that we talk about with our patients. Yeah. I trained in vasectomies and hope to bring them to Mendocino County. Um, we just need to cross our T's and dot our I's before we can offer those to patients. But hopefully in the next 12 months or so, we should be able to do that at our clinic. They're offered in Mendocino County, I thought. I mean, there's like Planned Parenthood and private physicians offering that as far as I know. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Okay, we have a few uh, callers with questions. Oh, we lost that one. And and tell us the phone number. What's the main phone number if people want to contact you? What would you be the? The main clinic number is 707-467-3123. Yep, and that's the main family medicine residency clinic number. And if they want to, from this, you know, interview, if they want to ask us any questions, you can leave a message with our wonderful front office staff, and then we'll try to get back to you as soon as we can. And we have another caller with a question. Oh, 
So callers, if you're trying to get through, the number is 707-895-2448. Be prepared to hold for a little bit, but uh, call in with your questions. 707-895-2448 is the in-studio line um, to link up with the show today. How, how many births have there been in Mendocino County in recent times? Total in the county, I, I believe there's been about an on average 800 per year at Adventist. And then there's about 250 births um, that go out of our county. The people that actually live in Mendocino County are going elsewhere. So there's definitely potential to bring those 250 unassigned births back to our county as we grow our practice. And I want you to know that I have the perfect grandchild who just turned two years old. His name's Callum. He was born at UVMC. Um, He's uh, the prettiest, uh, smartest baby you've met. And um, I was surprised reading an article about how important the first three years were. You know, I just had my kids playing out in the trash or in the backyard or with the dog for the first three years. You know, what is this about the first three years? I thought, you know, okay, kindergarten, they ought to, you know, you ought to read to them or something. But uh, somebody at first five was telling me I was pretty ignorant and that the first three years is, is kind of important. So I'm glad he has a good mom. Uh, Kate's doing a good job. Go ahead. I, I was surprised that first three years, I thought they just sat around and drank milk and pooped. And, you know, that was about it the first three years. Certainly a large amount of the development happens before kindergarten. Um, and actually, one of, you know, at every single visit, we screen that they're all meeting their developmental milestones. Um, and study after study shows that if they, if they do start to lag behind their peers, um, that there's a lot that we can do to support them. Um, and that early intervention is key in making sure that by the time they enter kindergarten that they're caught up with their peers and really give them the head start that they need. I agree. And I think also in the first three years, a lot of those studies show that a lot of the um, brain development that's occurring as far as um, just, you know, when babies are, you know, um, exposed to certain things in their early life. Like there's a lot of studies that show if there's trauma or um, substance use or anything in the early period, it makes a huge impact on patients' health later on in life. And there's a big study that Kaiser did um, on ACEs, which is adverse childhood events. And so that looked at like, I think over 50,000 kids over time and talking about those adverse childhood events and how they impact as adults later on rates of obesity, depression, and anxiety, and then other chronic diseases. And so I think that that time period is really crucial um, in trying to decrease those adverse childhood events. I've got a couple more questions. This is Cobb in the KZUX studio. Uh, First, well, before the question, um, somebody did call the studio on behalf of the egg department uh, just to let listeners know that I guess the farmer's market does have WIC checks, the WIC program. That's what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So there is um, something there to follow up. I, I, I suppose you could contact somebody at the farmer's market or the egg department 
follow yeah, the up on that. The farmers market's great for fresh produce, and their markets all over the county. Yeah, and that's beyond you know the OB department. I'm pretty sure um, yeah, for yeah, listeners out there. Um, I, another question I have is to bring it back to the residency program. Uh, you mentioned you know monthly appointments for uh, pregnant patients, that kind of thing. What does the process look like for the residents and patients and yourselves as far as how you interact and how you handle um, their OB learning? So generally the residents are their physicians. So they're the the main doctor and um, that would be the main person that they would come to see as their prenatal care physician. And then we would come in um, with each visit and, you know, supervise if there's any examinations that are being done. um, And then also answer any clarifying questions that our patient might have. But generally the resident is acting as the main OB provider and we're there supervising and helping out as best we can. Um, And so they will see two physicians (laughs) every time they come in. Um, sometimes that can be a little confusing, I think, for some patients. Um, I think that the more that we've kind of had patients come in and we're just educating them that this is a teaching community, teaching clinic, a teaching hospital, I think a lot of patients actually end up loving it because they're getting more care um, than they would if they were just seeing um, just one, one provider. Um, and then also the fact that you can co-manage with your resident then you're more likely to have someone catch your baby that you actually know. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is a great benefit. Cool, and we have a caller with a question. Welcome to Mind Body Health. Go ahead with your question. Are you there, caller? Oh, no. We've been trying today, everybody, uh, and we'll keep trying. This is KZYX. You can call 707-895-2448. Be prepared to hold for a little bit, but call 707-895-2448, and we will do our best to get your question heard on the air. I have a couple of baby questions for you, since OB scares me. you know how much time you know videos and screens and everything are everywhere uh i was shocked in the er that you'd have moms come in with six-month-old kids that are watching their cell phones with them are there some parameters or age break-offs or how do you get people to read kids books when everything is online so um, what I talk to my parents about is, you know, increased screen time. There's studies, there's pediatric studies that actually show um, that the more screen time kids have at a young age, they're actually um, a correlation with increased rates of obesity, depression, and anxiety. And so I think that, um, and also ADHD, and so there's some correlation. We're not sure what, you know, what that means, but... We do know that when a kid is on a screen, they're not being active. They're not interacting socially with their peers or their parents. And so as much as we can to decrease that is is kind of how I put it and to prevent those those things that could come later on. 
Okay, and Sarah, the other thing that concerns me about my perfect grandchild, Callum, have I told you? Okay. He's the most intelligent, most beautiful. (laughs) Bingo. Okay. Um, Is the COVID thing. He hasn't been out, you know, with 16 kids in a sand pit. Um, You know, does he think that the whole world revolves around him having 12 adults, you know, you know, look after his every move. How do you, uh, what's, what can kids do now? Or, you know, can you sign up for preschool now? Or what's the, what's the deal? That is a great question. Um, and certainly it feels like it's been a moving target throughout the pandemic. Um, fortunately, the best evidence that we have so far is that the younger the kid, the less likely they are to be impacted by COVID. Um, and a lot of the, more reassuring studies that came out at the beginning because I was taking care of pregnant women who had COVID at the very beginning and we didn't know what the impact was going to be on the babies and we were very nervous um and then the babies all came out fine and they were all doing better than the moms um and when they would do swabs on the babies they were actually finding that the babies weren't even clinically getting COVID and so it's just as, and then, you know, it's once they start to hit teenage years that they start to show symptoms and signs of COVID. Um, and it starts to become a bit more than um, just a, a coronavirus, just a cold for them. Um, but at the younger ages, they so far seem to be relatively unaffected. And how were the moms throughout that process that you said uh, had COVID? Yeah, I had one who... Um, pretty early on who was pretty ill and it was very hard for all of us um uh but fortunately so far uh all the rest of the moms i've taken care of have done well throughout covid which is great Mm -hmm. we have a listener uh calling in with a question i believe welcome to mind body health you're live on the radio go ahead with your question Are you there, caller? Hi. <clears throat> Hi. Hey. Um, I just want—I wanted to clarify some um, something about the. Are you there? Yeah, you're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, my name's Elizabeth with the Department of Agriculture in Mendocino County. I just wanted to clarify some things about the um, WIC program and the farmers market. Um, Mendocino County Certified Farmers Market takes the WIC Farmers Market Nutritional Program checks that come out during the summer. And all those are allowed to take WIC EBT cards. They are currently not taking those because each vendor has to have their own point of sale machine and they don't have those right now. So I just want to clarify that. Okay, so I'm confused. There's even two things. There's two things. There's the nutritional, a farmer's market nutritional program check that comes out in the summer. Mm-hmm. And they will take those, but they can't take the EBT cards. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. So... Um, since I had this perfect two-year-old, t- 
tell me tell me more about um i guess we should go back to ob is there more ob that you ought to you want to talk about right for us as family docs it is all one continuous process watching the baby develop inside the womb and watching the baby develop outside the womb it is <laughs> part in one of the whole so um but i do love hearing about baby callum so please <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> I have a question for you um, in talking about uh, COVID. How has the vaccine process worked out for uh, pregnant pregnancy? Sorry, stumbled there a little bit. Oh, it's definitely, again, another moving target to be sure. Um, just as the evidence has come out around COVID at a rapid pace, that is very difficult for even the most uh, evidence heavy of us to stay on top of. Um, but currently, it is very much a shared decision-making process with our pregnant patients where we talk extensively about the pros and cons of whether or not they would want to receive the COVID vaccine. Um, it is a difficult, like many decisions in pregnancy, it's a difficult decision. Um, what I would recommend is that any women that are considering becoming pregnant, um, if they're able to get the COVID vaccine before they get pregnant, that eliminates a lot of the decision process. Um, and helps to protect them during pregnancy. Because as I mentioned, you know, I have had one that was very difficult during pregnancy um, where she did have COVID. Um, you know, it's unfortunately fevers are not the best thing for pregnant women to have um, during uh, delicate times of development. And so, plus they are at themselves at higher risk when they're pregnant. And so just in general, if you're able, if you're considering getting pregnant or able to get the vaccine, really strongly recommend it. Okay, and we're gonna try one more listener call. Oh, and I was just more. gonna reiterate what Sarah's saying about the vaccine with pregnant patients. It is recommended by ACOG, um, so the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and also another institution, SMFM, a Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, which are high-risk OBs. Both, both of those institutions have recommended offering the vaccine to all pregnant women. Okay, good to know. Uh, we have time for one more question. Caller, you're live on the radio. Oh, hi. Um, uh, Dr. Osterholm, the epidemiologist, uh, recently said that this uh, UK variant of COVID, uh, B117 or something, is actually impacting school-aged children more so than the classic COVID. I wonder if you'd seen anything like that uh, locally. Okay, thanks for the question. I haven't yet taken care of a kid with COVID in a clinical, in terms of, you know, needing hospitalization or even needing clinical care. Um, and so certainly it's not something that seems to, as far as my personal experience in terms of taking care of kids in our clinic and in the hospital, not something that I've seen yet. I would like to take the last couple of minutes and have both of you state your name, what you're doing, how to contact you, so people can understand if they want one-stop shopping for their whole family, they can come see either one of you. Uh, because I, being new to the area, I still think that a lot of people don't aren't clear on the concept. Yeah. 
Okay, again, I'm, I'm Dr. Jody Parangao. I work in family medicine at Ukiah Valley as a faculty teaching the residents. And our clinic is right across from the hospital at 260 Hospital Drive, Suite 103. And our clinic number is 707-467-3123. you have any questions? Jody, that was 707-467-3123. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. Just wanted to make sure I say it right. Um, and again, I'm Dr. Sarah Martin, um, and I work in the same clinic as Jody. Uh, we love taking care of moms and babies and whole families. So please feel free to come see us over at 260 Hospital Drive, Suite 103. And the phone number to schedule an appointment or ask us any questions is 707 707- Four six seven three one two three, and you'll be greeted by the lovely Erica or Brittany. Shout out to our front desk, who are amazing, um, and we're excited to keep working with Mendocino County um, on all to meet all of your health needs. Thanks and for being the here. The last thing I would do is I would encourage young women before you get pregnant to come into the faculty uh, residency program. Because I, I do think there's a lot of nutritional, psychological, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, not just with contraception, but discussing things if, you, if you're going to get pregnant. And as soon as you find out that you're pregnant, it's important. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for being here. And thanks Thank again you. for another show, Dr. Thank Marvin Thank you so much Trotter. for having us. Thank you for both coming. Absolutely. <laughs> And so we're coming up on the end, everybody. You've been tuned to KZYX. And coming up next is Loose Cannon Classics with Susan Jewell in just a moment. Um, As I said before, uh, here at KZYX, it is support coming from our listeners. That's you. We have a quiet drive going on. If you've enjoyed this program, if you tune in regularly, um, maybe you're a member and thank you. Uh, but especially if you haven't been a member before, call 895-2324 to talk to one of the staff and get signed up. Figure out how you can support this station. A little bit goes a long way. Uh, or go to kzyx.org, uh, and there's a very easy process to follow there. So thanks for tuning in, and enjoy Loose Cannon Classics coming right up. This has been a production of KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.